Today we're beginning a new journey into the book of Jonah. If you've been with us over the past uh, couple months, many months, we've been working through the book of Mark. And so now we're in the tiny little book of Jonah. In my Bible, it's only two pages. I'm not sure if it's uh, in your Bible. It's, it's very tiny, tiny little book. And today we're looking at Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The beautiful thing about tiny little books in the Bible is that they're, they're packed full of theological truth, of just wonderful, wonderful truth from the Lord. All the books are, but, but tiny ones, are they have to condense it, right? Before we get into the text, I want to give you just a little, a brief introduction to the book itself. Jonah's name would have been Jonah ben Amittai, which he's a prophet of the Lord. His name means dove, son of truth. And that's just a little interesting aside, because if you think about doves, for 3,000 years they've been used as messengers, And so God has his own messenger dove, his own Jonah, and he is going to use him for the truth to the Ninevite people. The way in which he's introduced us, we're just thrown right into the book of Jonah. So this implies that the Hebrew people, the the people reading this would have known who Jonah was. This is not, they're not being introduced to him the first time. Well, then we would, we would assume to find Jonah somewhere else in scripture, which we do. This is 2 Kings 14, 24 through 27. In this passage, we're told that Jeroboam II is the king of Israel, and he's not a good king. He is a very wicked and evil king. The passage says this, it says, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So the the lines there, just like father, like son, they were not good kings. But then we read in verse 25, That though Jeroboam is an evil king, God is going to send his messenger of truth with a word of grace and a word of mercy and a word of compassion. Listen to this. This is verse 25 through 26. Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free. There was none to help Israel. And so Jonah gets this first message, and he comes with a message that through God's power, through God's strength, he's going to use wicked Jeroboam to restore the holdings of Israel back to the prosperous days of King Solomon. This was huge. That's a a massive blessing. The kingdom will grow, the growth, the people will be prosperous. All of this comes despite their wickedness, because God will have mercy upon his people. Now, you can imagine how wonderful that would have been. Jonah, go preach a message of of good news. All right, Lord, I'm, I'm happy to do that. God is going to have compassion on his people. We don't deserve it, yet here it comes. And then we come to the book of Jonah, this tiny little book, and we have a new word from the Lord. You can imagine, again, the excitement, the nervousness Jonah feels. Lord's calling me again. This is my moment. What's it going to be? Is God going to, is he going to bless the people again? Will I have a a good word for Israel despite their wickedness? Will, Will God use more grace and more mercy? Maybe he'll turn us from our wickedness back to him. Or, you know, they've been worshiping these false idols Maybe it's a word of chastisement. Maybe it's like the other prophets. Maybe I I come with bad news this time. 
And so you can imagine this, this word coming to Jonah, and this, these are the emotions he's feeling. Well, let's read together and find out what this word is. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Tarshish, 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 right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father, be with us. This is a tiny little passage, Lord, but as I said, it's full of truth. It's full of mercy. It's full of compassion. It's full of your grace. Help us to see it today, Lord. Open our hearts to receive it with joy. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Jonah. Pack your bags. You're going on a road trip, right? Small town boy headed to the big city. And it's not just any big city. It's the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. And God says, I want you to go not with a word of blessing, but with a word of judgment. Now, to appreciate the magnitude of what's being asked here of Jonah, you have to consider who the Assyrians were at the time and what they meant to Israel. All right, back in uh, around 786 B.C., 746, this is when Jonah was operating. Just about 80 years prior to Jonah, the Assyrians had come to King Jehu, who was kind of a good king. Not really. They were a lot of bad kings. But they came to him and they said, hey, we'll protect you if you pay us a tribute. And Jehu said, okay, I'll do that. We have archaeological evidence. It's this little thing called the Black Pillar. And it's a picture of Jehu bowing down and exacting tribute. And so they're like the thugs. We'll be the, bad, you know, we'll be the bad guys. We'll protect you from the Aramaeans. Well, guess what? They paid the fee, but they didn't get the protection. And so there was, there was a nasty taste in their mouth. Now, even though Jehu did some good stuff, he, he eradicated Baal worship. He kicked it almost all the way out. He still is found worshiping his own idols. And so God promises Jehu. He says, hey, that was good what you did. You're not great. But because I am good, I'm going to bless you for four generations. Well, guess where we're at? Jeroboam II is the final one. And so God says, one last big blessing. Here he comes from Jonah. You're going to expand the boundaries. And so we have to couple that memory, the the failure to protect the money they put forth, also with prophecies from, from the prophet Amos, from Hosea. They said, guess who's going to cause us trouble down the road? The Ninevites, the Assyrians. And so Jonah knows this. He has this in the back of the mind. In 722 BC, that's exactly what happens. The Assyrians come and they sack the northern kingdom and it falls. And so you have all this in mind. And Jonah's thinking about the prophecies. He's thinking, why do I have to go? Why do I have to be the one to go? You know, I, I don't want this. I he's got mixed emotions. I'll also add that Jonah out of all of God's Old Testament prophets, is unique. And he's unique in that he alone is commissioned to go to preach to Gentiles a message of repentance. Really, go repent. Repent or be destroyed. Nobody else does that. And he's not called to some little village, you know, some little backwater. He's called to Sin City. He's called to a place, Nineveh, which was renowned for its heathendom. It's renowned for how bad they were. They are wicked. It's so bad, God says, it's come up before me. It's awful. And so go preach to those people a message of judgment. 
Again, none of this justifies his action to run. It's a sinful action to flee. And so we sadly read this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah rose to flee. The first question I want us to ponder today is this. Why did Jonah run? I was talking to my son Thad the other day, and we were talking about this story, and we were kind of laughing. I said, can you imagine Jonah tried to run from God's presence? <laughs> and we laughed about that because in the church, we catechize our children. We teach them the words. And the, the catechism question is, where is God? And what's the answer? Kids, what's the answer? Everywhere. Where is God? Everywhere. You cannot run from God's presence. Surely Jonah knew Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now that's, that's a prayer of, of excitement in the psalm. Good. The Lord, I can't run from the Lord's presence. That's wonderful news. And Jonah knew that. So was he just ignorant? Was Jonah just one of the dumb prophets? You know, we got the, the bottom of the barrel here. No, of course not. Of course not. And yet we read that Jonah tries to run from God's presence. This is a remarkable sight. A prophet of the Lord. His whole purpose is to, to prophesy. His whole purpose is to be a messenger of God. It's like a planet saying, I'm just going to leave my, my orbit. It's like a mountain just saying, I'm going to become an ocean. It can't happen. He can't, he can't shirk his duties. Jonah knew it was futile. He said, I know it's impossible to run from the omnipresence of God. And so instead, I'm getting away from the mission of God. And if I can just get as far away from that place, he's going to have to find someone else. There's no way he can get me in Tarshish back to Nineveh. There's no way. And so he's going to have to find someone else. Well, maybe that's one option. Perhaps Jonah ran away because he simply didn't fill up to the task. I often wonder, have, have some of us here fled God's mission and calling in our own lives because we feel inadequate? Lord, said Moses, have you met my brother Aaron? He talks real good. I don't talk so good, Lord. And he shirks that duty, right? Moses said, I, I, I can't, I, I'm not so good with public speaking, Lord. A lot of people here, you know, I would go, Lord, but I'm not so great in big settings. I'm an introvert. Wouldn't anyone else be more suited for this task? God could have sent an entire band of prophets. You know, this is evangelistic SEAL Team 6 swarming on Nineveh, right? And they just come in. Every street corner has a prophet. Every big service, you know, there's services and, and these, they're everywhere. Prophets on every corner. And God says, nope. Country bumpkin. From Gath Heifer, he's going 600 plus miles to a heathen city, and he's going to be my guy. And so the odds are stacked against him. What on earth is the Lord thinking? I wonder if there's anyone today in this room who feels unequal to the, the work that God's called you for in your own life. Are there any parents here who had a rough week? Any parents who feel overwhelmed with the momentous task of caring for little souls? Anyone here tired and exhausted from wherever you're working, from your workplace, where God's called you to, to have your vocation? Anyone here barely keeping their heads above water, and some days you think, I'd love to hop a boat to Tarshish. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? 
to just get away from everything. Get away from all those things that the Lord's put there. I'll just take a boat. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth is you are unequal to the task. That's the truth. The truth is you are inadequate. Just as I am inadequate, just as Jonah and Moses and David and so many others in Scripture, they were inadequate to the task that God had called them to. But then we read that Christ says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, with more prayer, we get more power. In our weakness and inability, he is strong. We have these resources. We have the word of God at our fingertips. And so God calls us to a task we are unable to do. And he says, my grace is enough. You're going to be okay. You can do it. Again, even this does not explain why Jonah ultimately ran away. Some people think, well, Jonah just, uh, you know, John Piper says Jonah was racist. And, and he just disliked the Ninevites. That was the pure motivation. And I think there's some of that. I think, I think it's not too far-fetched given the context, right? We looked backwards. I think he did not like the Ninevites. But I don't think any of us here would have liked the Ninevites. As mentioned earlier, there's a sour taste towards the Assyrians. Imagine if the word of the Lord came to you today. Go to San Francisco, that great city, and preach against it. Go to Las Vegas. Sin City and preach against it. Some of us would be like, How do I? I can't fly fast enough, Lord. I cannot wait to preach some judgment. Those sinners are going to get theirs finally. Oh, it's going to be great. If Jonah simply hated them, if that was all in his heart, I just I hate those people, I dislike them, wouldn't he have rushed? Wouldn't he have gotten the first camel ride? Wouldn't he have just rushed over to Nineveh? Why does he run? The reason he runs ultimately is because he knows God's merciful. He knew because he had just been the bearer of that merciful news. Do you think the Israelites deserved to have the the boundary lines put back? Do you think they deserved any of that? For, For four generations, they were wicked people, wicked kings. And yet he pronounced this this message of mercy. And now Jonah knows this prophetic announcement of doom holds within it the possibility of mercy. And so he's running away from even that possibility. If they would repent, God will show kindness. And so if we jump ahead, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but in chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 2, Jonah tells us the reason he ran. Why did God run? He says this, This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. (laughs) I mean, what a drama. The guy that says, you know, Lord, just kill me now. Because I knew you were going to be nice. I just knew it. And And I can't bear to see it. And so I ask you again. In light of God's mercy, who will be the first one on a plane to San Francisco to preach against that great city? Las Vegas, New York, China, North Korea. Who wants to hop in the car and go to Panama City? See, the possibility of mercy is there. The possibility of mercy is there. Who is it in your own life that you dislike so much that if you walked through the pearly gates and you saw them there, you'd want to... Turn tail and run. 
Do you see, do you see what I'm getting at? Jonah's running away from the possibility that God might show mercy on the people who are just about to punish his own people. I'm reminded of Peter who comes to Jesus and, and he says, Hey, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? Just a little bit? Or... And Jesus tells this wonderful parable of the unmerciful servant. You'll remember it, right? He, he talks about an unmerciful servant. He comes to a master. He, he owes this guy more than he could ever pay. I mean, just an astronomical amount of money. And the master looks at him and he does this just crazy act. And he says, forgiven. Forgiven. Your debts are forgiven. And you would think the guy would go off and rejoice and be ecstatic. Instead, we read, he goes off, calls his own servants in and says, time to pay up. I mean, they owe nothing. They owe pennies compared to what he owed. And then the master calls him back in at the very end. He says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And so will you are you going to flee to Tarshish today? Are those people that God's called you to serve below his mercy? Are they too high class, too low class, too rich, too poor, too plain, too extravagant, too conservative, too liberal, too sinful, too self-righteous? What is it? What is it that that makes them below receiving God's mercy? What about those people in your own household? What about your spouse, your children, your parents? What about that coworker, that boss, that person who has wronged you beyond words? I can't even begin to imagine what, what people have done to you. Where or who is your Nineveh? And this is where I have to step back because we're, uh, we're unequal to this task. I, I'm inadequate to it. I, we need God's grace. I don't want to forgive. Lord, soften my hard heart. We're not up to this task unless he gives us grace. We're, we're so weak. You see, this is the thing. Jonah's weak. We are just like Jonah. We have that same spirit in us. We need God's strength. Finally, the reason, the other reason Jonah ran is because he's worried about his people. He's worried what repentance for Nineveh means for his own sinful people because they failed to repent. If we go back to, again to the Old Testament, we go to Elijah and Elisha. You'll remember those great prophets of the Lord. And near the end of Elijah's ministry, he has three things to do. His three things are he's supposed to anoint Jehu as the king of Israel He's supposed to anoint Elisha as his successor. And then he's supposed to go give a word to Hazael as king over Aram. And he anoints Elisha, but the others he doesn't get to do. Now, does that thwart God's plan? No. No, Elisha carries on that message. And so we read in 2 Kings 8, Elisha has this horrible task of coming to Hazael and telling him that he's going to be king. And the reason that's horrible is because Hazael is evil. He's a wicked, wicked king. And so we read this in verse 12. Elisha starts to weep. He's telling Hazael the good news, and then he starts to weep. (laughs) Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? And Elisha answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword. You will dash in pieces their little ones. And you will rip open their pregnant women. And so Elisha weeps at that message. And you have to imagine Jonah is now called 
to go give a message to a people who are about to go and do the same thing to his people again. You see, what we learn from Scripture time and time again is how the relationship between God and nations works. It's dynamic. It's not static. And we know that because we're all Gentiles and we're all here. In Romans 11, we're told that the Gentiles who who were once under the curse of God are now engrafted in. We're now called as sons and daughters. But it says you too could be cut off just as Israel had been cut off. If we do not continue in faith. And so we say America founded on Christian principles. But then I ask, have we kept faithful as a nation? Have our churches, have our our various denominations, have we remained faithful? And that's uncomfortable because we know the answer is that we haven't. Other countries are already sending missionaries to the states. How long before God uses another nation to punish our great wickedness? I don't think Jonah wanted Nineveh dead, but I don't think he wanted them to thrive at their expense either. And so we need to humble ourselves. We need to come before the Lord and repent of our own sins. I I, I read this story and I, I sit there and I go, I wonder if anyone's ever felt like I feel sometimes. That if I could just tell God what to do, if he would just listen to me in these matters, we would, we would have, a better, we'd have a better way of going, right? Lord, how long? How long will the wicked prosper? How long will your people suffer? Have you ever been weary of God's long suffering? You know, if, if the Lord was just a little less patient, God, if you'd give me your thunderbolts for five minutes, five minutes, I'd clean this whole place up. You see, that spirit of Jonah stirs in me. And I can admit that I've come to the Lord and I said, yes, Lord, I do very well to be angry. But you see, our gracious God in his divine wisdom does not make me executioner. (laughs) He does not make me judge and jury. He does not make us the judge and jury. I felt the rage of John and I thought, Lord, should I call down fire from heaven right now? Lord, do you have any she bears hiding out in the bushes over here that I could just, you know... Have you ever wished he'd simply blot out the wicked from the earth? And beloved, it's at this point where we have to we have to confess that if if we would call down judgment upon them, we'd damn ourselves. Because we're the wicked ones. And it's our hearts that are wicked and impatient. It's our hearts that need the mercy. It's our hearts that need the healing power and grace of Jesus Christ just as much as Sin City, just as much as Nineveh, just as much as the people of Israel. Like King David, if, I, if you presented me all of my sins, all of my wrongs, I would say, as surely as that man lives, he must die. As surely as God lives, that man must die. And then Nathan would say, you are the man. That's you. And so in God's long suffering, he passes over transgressions. He's patient. He is Patient with our wickedness. He's patient with our evil. He bears an extreme patience with us because he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He wants all to come to repentance. And so I think about people in this room. I think about my heart. How many years has God been patient with us? What a great God we serve. What a merciful God we serve. How many sins have we committed before him? How many times have we run from his presence? How many times have we avoided the mission he's called to us to do. 
God's great grace, we need it. Have mercy upon us, Lord. You servants of God, you people who have walked with him long, I pray that when, when he does call you, you would obey. I pray that when that message comes to me, comes to you, I pray we would obey without question. And the news here is that if you are not a servant of God, then that makes you his foe. And the message of Jonah is for you today. You see, the message of Jonah is fantastic news. Because whereas the Ninevites had the possibility of mercy, through Christ you have the assurity of mercy. You have the assurance of salvation. If you will repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the promises you will be saved. We can take great comfort from Jonah's experience as well. We know that if the Lord has placed you, a certain person or a certain people or a certain group in your life, and your heart is, is for those people, that's an indicator that God intends to use you to bring them to repentance. That's good news. When it becomes your task to go to someone and say, I have received grace and mercy, and now I want to tell you about that. That's a joy. That's a joy and a privilege from the Lord. And so today, if you're able to hear, then the word of the Lord has come to you as well. And it's come to you more clearly than it ever came to Jonah. Because we have at our fingertips the entire revelation of God. We have at our fingertips the full revelation of Christ crucified. We have the gospel. And so we're called in the Great Commission to proclaim the message of truth. Christ wins. Christ victorious. All peoples, all tribes, tongues, nations, all will come into the camp of the Lord. It's to boldly, through his word, bring about repentance unto life. To call people from their wickedness into his marvelous light. And it's to expect that God will work through his word to bring about that faith. This includes the suburbs, the cities, even the darkest, deepest jungle. We say, Lord, give us beautiful feet clad in the, the gospel of peace. Now, this is the point where you say, I'm barely hanging on. Heath, I'm barely hanging on. You want me to go to, to Nineveh? You want me to go? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. A lot of times we think, okay, missions, you know, the, the people who really do it right are the ones we send to China, the ones we send. Do you have children? You wake up every day with little souls that you disciple and love and care for and lead to the throne of grace. Do you have family members? Do you have co-workers? Do you have friends? Where has God placed you? That's, that's your mission field. Yeah, we want people to go. Some people are called to go. But you're called to be faithful here where God has put you on mission. The last thing I want us to see is simply this. What does running from God's presence cost us? What does it cost Jonah to run away from God's mission? Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if we had a little map, you would see that Nineveh is 600 plus miles east of Gath Hefer, where Jonah's starting. Joppa is 60 miles south, so he has to go down. And Tarshish, which is modern day Spain, is 2,500 miles that way from Israel. And so Jonah takes the long route, right? He, he, he is so bold in going against God's plan. And we must remember that the way of destruction is always easiest. It's always the easy way out. 
right? The, the, the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The way to hell is downhill. It's always easy traveling. It's always the easiest way. And so notice from the text, Jonah goes down to Joppa, down into the boat, and eventually, next week, he's going down to the sea. Now consider the providence of God in getting Jonah to where he needs to be. I love this, right? He walks on the wharf in Joppa. He's, he's traveled the 60 miles. He's down in Joppa. And the first thing he sees, wouldn't you know it? It's a ship going to Tarshish. Not, I mean, that didn't happen all the time. What great providence is this? The Lord must be in this. Boats didn't often take that long voyage. There were storms. This must be, this must be good news. And then he approaches the captain of the vessel. And wouldn't you know it? It's the exact amount of money he has in his pockets. And they're taking passengers. Can you imagine how wonderful? That's great news. Well, it just so happens that it's down to the last penny. And so he gets on the boat. And maybe, you know, maybe this is what God wanted for my life. Maybe this is, maybe this is really what God wanted for my life. You know, you're sitting there in the pew and you're saying, Lord, I'm really low on cash right now. And the next thing you know, a deacon is handing you a plate filled with cash. What great providence. Thank you, Lord. David is sitting in a cave and, and you know, Saul is pursuing him. And all of a sudden Saul comes in. What great news. Just go kill him, David. Be done with it. That must be the Lord's plan. David says, no, I, I, I could never harm the Lord's anointed. Why would I do that? That's... It's against God's will. And so you see, we're guided in life not by some sort of coincidence or luck or chance or even a so-called providence from God. We're we're guided by his law and by his commands because stealing is wrong. And so you don't grab the money out of the plate. Jonah Jonah is sinning. He's, He's in great rebellion. And despite Jonah's disobedience, God is working all things together for the good and for his glory. You see, that's the beauty of it. Despite Jonah's disobedience, God is working all things together. What did Jonah's sinful trip cost him? It cost him financially. I mean, it's not cheap to go 2,500 miles on a boat. It cost him spiritually. He was running from God's presence. It cost him physically. He's going to be tossed in the ocean. And if you run to Tarshish today, which is that place where you run every single time you want to flee from God's presence as well, it will cost you greatly might be the arms of a person who is not your spouse. It might be a bottle. It might be pills. It might be a website. It might be that little voice, that little lying voice that says, God cannot see you here. Oh, you've escaped. You've escaped his presence. Finally, you've done it. But you know it's a lie. And if you remain in that lie, the Bible says it will cost you finally your soul. If you want to run to Jesus, if you want to go into the presence of God, you can do it right now. You may go to him right now. You are sitting in your pew. You may come to Christ right this very minute. If you go to Tarshish, you're going to have to pay. If you go to Tarshish, you're going to have to pay. It will cost you. Christ says it's free. My grace is free. There's no fare. Come you without money. Buy, eat, drink. To him it is come and welcome. His salvation is free. He says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. His love, his mercy is extended to sinners. You can't buy it. 
You can't buy it. You can't buy it with your good works. You can't buy it with your merit. You have to receive it with joy. And even now, I know there's a voice that's whispering in some of your ears, go to Tarshish. Don't listen to him. Your neighbors right now are hearing it. Go to Tarshish. And I weep at what their journey will cost them. Your children this week will be in school and they'll be with friends and they'll hear that voice, go to Tarshish. And it'll cost them. You have to resist. By God's grace, resist the devil. He will flee. The second you stop running from God and the second you start running to him is the second the devil will turn tail and run. He hates to be resisted. He's terrified of it. Resist him. Resist your sin. Mortify it. Come to Christ. There's a great explorer. If you don't know about him, you really should. His name is Mungo Park. I love these stories of explorers and, and adventurers. And Mungo Park was lost in the wilderness. He was seemingly without hope. He had no clue where he was. There was no GPS during this time. And he's lost. And in the midst of the dark place where he's at, he observes a tiny little piece of moss. And he stares at the moss and the intricacies of it and the beauty of it. And he yells out, God is here. My father is here. You see, even when you're lost, you're never far from the Father's presence. And I think I think I see him. Even now, the Father's waiting to receive prodigals from the field. Sons and daughters who will come into his loving arms. His smile is upon you in Christ. I'm always astonished by just how much sin costs people on a daily basis. Have you, you've seen this. You've seen news stories. You know what sin costs. I read recently there's a new drug in California. They're taking this drug and they're lacing it with other drugs. And it's called the zombie drug. And the reason it's called the zombie drug is because it eats away the flesh of people younger than I am. Sons and daughters lost. Their flesh being rotted away by their sin. They're lost They're hunched over like zombies. Their minds are being rotted away. These are bodies which were knit by the king. Being eaten away, they're precious. And this great lie of sin, you see, it promises the pleasures. It always promises the pleasures, but it leaves broken homes. It promises great joys, and then men and women will will do everything to, to hide those joys. They want to keep them a secret. How many hours are spent storing up wealth? You can lose it in an instant. How much planning goes into stealing from others just so that they might not work? How heavy is the yoke of Satan? How heavy is the burden of the devil? And then I, I, I think about that and I read that article and I say, Lord, who will go? Who's going to that great city? Who will you send to tell them of your grace and your mercy? They don't have to take these drugs and have their flesh eaten away. They have a life. They have value. They're precious. Send us. There's a story about Francis Schaeffer, if you're familiar with Francis Schaeffer, wonderful theologian. Many years ago, he was walking. He was uh, with graduate students. And one day as he's walking around the rough part of town, a prostitute walks up to him and she offers herself for $100. And Francis Schaefer begins negotiating with her. And he continues negotiating the price higher and higher and higher. And eventually the woman says, fine, you just tell me a number. 
And he says, ma'am, I couldn't possibly pay what what you're worth. But I know someone who did. (laughs) Do you see it? That's why Jonah had to go to Nineveh. That's why we support Ellen Barnett. That's why we go. Because we have a person who paid what they're worth. Infinite value. The blood of Christ. His own life was paid. Nineveh, with all of its sin and wickedness, 120,000 souls precious to God. 8.4 million souls in New York. 700,000 in Washington, D.C. What about your soul? What are you worth to the Lord? You see, following Christ costs you nothing. It costs you nothing of that which, unless, but, but that you'll be glad to have lost. And it will ask nothing more of you than what you will be glad to give. The fountains of blessing which come from knowing Christ are greater than a million pleasures of this life. And so we confess we've sinned time and time again without number. God, help us to feel the weight of that sin. Grievously have we offended God. We've run from his presence. We've fleed from his loving arms. Can we ever return? We have stored up wrath without measure. We, we have stored up wrath for the day, day of judgment. We purchased tickets for the sea of destruction. Are we without hope? If you look on the horizon, I see a fish. I see a fish from the Lord, which will rescue us. Because one greater than Jonah is here. And his name is Christ the Lord. And he will grab you from the pit, from your drowning from the death, from the depths of sin and woe and despair, and he will raise you and swallow you up in his life. Hear me well. He will not save us because we are righteous, but because he is gracious. And he will not deliver us because there's something good in us, but because there's everything good in himself. And for those who are treading water today, use your final breath and call out to him. Call out to Christ He will save you. He who is able to bring dead men and women back to life is faithful. You see, the message of Jonah is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray.